Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 850 of the Juicebox Podcast. Today, I'll be speaking with Erica Forsyth again. Now, you know Erica. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist who also has type 1 diabetes, and she's been on the show a ton of times. And today, Erica and I are going to talk about guilt and shame. And we are going to be using um, feedback from listeners that was left in the private Facebook group. Uh, It's interesting. It's interesting how guilt and shame can take a hold of people. And uh, today we're going to talk about a few ways that maybe you can get through it and past it and hopefully uh, leave it behind. While you're listening, please remember two things. First, Nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. And here's the other thing to remember. You can reach Erica at ericaforsyth.com or by calling 626-344-2266. Last thing, very quickly, t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. Join the registry, complete the survey. Help move type 1 diabetes research forward. Take you about 10 minutes. T1DExchange.org forward slash juice box. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Touched by Type 1. Now, Touched by Type 1 is a fantastic organization. They do wonderful things for people living with type 1 diabetes. And they'd love for you to check them out at touchedbytype1.org on Facebook or Instagram. One of the things you'll find on their website is their annual event that uh, I'm going to be speaking at again this year. So why don't you go over there and pick around the website and see what you can learn. Touchedbytype1.org. The event's free, by the way. You can just go to it. I'll be there. I'll talk. We'll say hello. It'll be lovely. Today's podcast is also sponsored by the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter. My daughter has been using this meter for years. It is fantastic contournext.com forward slash juice box. Small, easy to use, easy to transport, easy to see, bright light, second chance test strips. Oh my goodness. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. Are we going to, we're going to say like, thanks for the, or I, I'm happy to say it too. Thanks for all those, um, uh, writings on the Facebook page. Oh, you got a lot of responses back from the last episode. No, no, no. Um, from the post that we're talking about, oh, I yeah. just think that's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was course. amazing. No, like no, what people yeah. shared. Yeah. 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 So uh, here I'll, I'm recording. We'll just bring everybody into it. So Jenny and I have begun making a type two diabetes series and you and I have spoken about guilt and shame in the past, as well as other people who have come on the podcast and brought it up. And I'm a little embarrassed to say that even though I've had a number of conversations about it, my brain doesn't naturally understand the difference between guilt and shame yet. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. Jenny and I are getting ready to start this one episode. And I thought, let me get a little perspective from people. And I put up a post that just says um, guilt and shame. If you've struggled with guilt or shame and have found a way past it, can you please share your experience here? Um, uh, You know, your experiences may be discussed anonymously on the podcast. Well, that post ended up with like a hundred responses and it it was seen by like 9,000 accounts. So that means that, you know, the algorithm thought, oh, people are interested in this and it keeps feeding it to them. And that way you keep getting responses. And it helped me a lot when I was recording with Jenny, 
But then I just thought, let me grab Erica and get her on the podcast and go through this because there's so much honest feedback in here, Mm -hmm. you know, and I don't know what you want to do. Do you want to just start at the top and go through it? Or do you? Yes. I I think it'd be helpful to maybe break down the difference between shame and guilt. And I was also really impressed by people's responses and their knowledge and understanding Mm -hmm. of the difference, as well as their vulnerability and sharing. So I just want to say thank you to everyone who shared so, you know, openly and vulnerably in that, um, in their responses. Yeah, no, I I agree a hundred percent. I'm, I'm frequently bowled over by how honest everyone can be. And their their deeper understanding, like you know, I, mm-hmm. I I used to say it all the time. The podcast helps me way more than it helps you. So, <laughs> um, you know, because I learn a lot about it too. But I agree with you. I again, I've been over it before. And go ahead, I, tell me the difference between shame and guilt. Well, I think it is. It can feel tricky because we often hear those two words together. So maybe we often think that they are linked. I think the easiest way to describe it and perhaps understand it is. Guilt is a beha- is behavior. Like I did, you did something wrong, you did something bad, and you can ask for forgiveness. You can correct it. It's it's something kind of external. So I I did a bad thing. Shame is I did a bad thing, and I'm now a bad person. So you're you're internalizing whatever the action was. You're now kind of shame. You're you're saying bad things to yourself. It's hard to describe it without using the word. You're saying, I'm a bad person. I'm not good enough. I am terrible because of the the bad, quote, bad thing I did. Okay. So I'm going to read the definitions because I do want to get through this. Like when this is over, yeah. if nothing else, I want to understand. So guilt, this is just from dictionary.com or um, guilt is the fact of having committed a specific or implied offense or crime specified or implied offense or crime. So I, I mean, is it as easy as I picked up your mug and I dropped it on the floor by mistake? I am guilty of dropping your mug. Sure. Okay. And now shame, a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Okay. So I pick up your mug. I drop it by mistake. I am guilty of dropping the mug, but I'm ashamed of the act. And that's different. Well, so it's different. Guilt, guilt often it's talked about, it can help move a conversation or behaviors or relationships forward. Mm-hmm. So you drop the mug and then you can say, oh, I feel guilty. I am going to apologize and go buy a new one. Okay. Shame is, oh, I cannot believe I dropped that mug. I'm such a horrible person. I'm there, you know, my friend whose mug I dropped, they're never going to be my friend. They're going to hate me forever. Ugh. So you're internally spiraling downward. Okay. Um, yeah. Psychologytoday.com. As a self-conscious emotion, shame informs us of an internal state of inadequacy, unworthiness, mm-hmm. dishonor, regret, or disconnection. Shame is a clear signal that our positive feelings have been interrupted. Okay. That is the psychology behind shame. Mm-hmm. All right. I like, yeah, that's good. Does that one feel good? That's good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you think people commingle these two things all the time? 
I think there's definitely been an increased awareness that there is a difference. I think I think one of the um, responders talked about Brene Brown, who's done a lot of work on guilt and shame. You can Google Brene Brown guilt and shame and listen to her TED Talks and her readings. Um, so I think there is there has become more awareness that there is a difference, mm-hmm. um, and how one not ne- guilt isn't necessarily positive, but it's it can produce something that could be positive. Do you does buy in, that make sense? It does. Do you buy into the three types of guilt? Natural guilt or remorse over something you did or failed to do, um, or a toxic or free-floating guilt, the underlying sense of not being a good person. How is that not shame? How is toxic guilt? Well, that, uh, yeah, I feel like that's the same idea. I feel like that's a little bit that's similar. Yeah, I okay. can get maybe a little bit blurry okay. there. Yeah. All right. So all right. So back to people's answers. How did you handle feeling guilt or shame? Someone just says therapy. Um, people point out that it's difficult to do. This person says, and I'm not going to use anybody's name, just like I promised, obviously, um, connecting with others that are in the same situation and hearing their story. How does that help people? Oh, well, I think what shame, shame likes to make you feel really isolated and alone, and you're the only one. Mm-hmm. That's what shame does. You're You're a bad person, and no one else understands that. And so... By, by share. I mean, I wonder. I'd be curious to hear people's responses of how they felt after even just sharing, you know, in the, in this um, thread, yeah, how yeah. they felt by reading other people's responses and then openly sharing because shame thrives in darkness and grows mm-hmm. in darkness and isolation. And so, by connecting with others, opening up, that's part of why therapy is helpful. Why you know, responding to these threads, talking to other people who are in the similar situation can normalize your experience and decrease that feeling of isolation. Yeah. This person points out that just getting out of the house and doing things, it helped them. Um, here, here's an idea, the idea of giving yourself grace, um, which I've always thought of as letting yourself off the hook a little Hmm. bit. I don't know if that's right or not. I also don't, if you asked me what I've been ashamed of, I mean, there's, I can't think of anything recently. Like, it's not a constant issue with me. But so is is giving yourself grace just the conscious decision to not follow a semi-conscious feeling? Does that make sense? Say, say that again. Well, I'm assuming if something happens to me and I instantly am struck with guilt or shame, that is not a conscious decision I've made. It's a reaction. And then you can spiral or stay, you know, stuck in that position. So is the idea of like giving yourself grace, just consciously saying I'm, it's okay if I don't feel like this. I don't know. So giving, so giving yourself grace, I think it's maybe helpful to to give an example. So let's say um, it's becoming, giving yourself grace, I think is aware of your thought patterns. Like, okay, when I make a mistake, if we we can talk about something diabetes related or, you know, or, or not. But if I make a mistake and I know that my automatic thought is I'm a bad person because I made a mistake, Mm -hmm. then your first step is increasing awareness that you do that. The second step is, Oh, you know what? I, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. There are, there are going to be times when I mess up. 
and I'm a human being. Now, I think giving yourself grace, that's interesting that you say is that letting yourself off the hook. It probably just, that's situational. You know, if you're- Depends on what it giving, is. Yeah, giving yeah. yourself grace for something that is really clearly immoral and unethical and causing harm to other people, that's not giving yourself grace. That's maybe denial or something else. Okay. Um, but giving yourself grace for, you know what? Gosh, I've been, I've been- um, in range with my numbers and I forgot to, to pre-bolus tonight and now I'm out of range. Oh, I'm such a terrible person. I'm, I'm going to, you know, you're spiraling down all those things. That's shame. Or is it, you know what? I'm human. I forgot to pre-bolus. There's a lot going on. I'm going to correct it right now and we're going to move on. I'm shocked sometimes by the number of people who like freely say to me, I'm a bad diabetic or I've been a bad diabetic in the past. Okay. Because I don't, yes. I don't understand. I'm assuming that's something you might hear every day while you're working, but I just, I don't understand that at all. Like it's a thing that's out of your control, and you're, you know what I mean? You're just, you're, you're a lion tamer. If the lion gets you once in a while, you go, all right. Well, I was kind of expecting that, <laughs> but you know, like I don't know. It just okay. Yeah. Yes. So that is, I think, one of the real positive things that's happening within the diabetes community. And I mean, like professionally from endocrinologists, doctors is there's really are trying to bring this awareness around the language movement yeah. and what kind of words are being used when you go to the doctors around friends, family, because there has been such association of judgmental words. Is that a bad number? It's a, is, are you, in, are you in, are you in control? Are you out of control? Is that a, Oh, that, oh, 82, that's a good number. Or, oh, 207, that's a bad number. I'm a bad diabetic because I have get bad numbers. And those are all judgment, inflict, shame inflicted type statements yeah. that either you might hear externally or you've heard it, or you've heard it so often that now that's just your internal running. And you apply monologue. it, you apply it to your situation, even if you don't mean it that way, but it, it strikes you like that. Yes. Yeah. And so they are really trying to make this shift around like, how is your diabetes in control? Like what kind of, that is a really judgmental question because we know we can't control it. We can do our best to keep, to manage it. We can do our best to keep it in range. Right. But I mean, how many variable episodes have you, have you done? You yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, and so you have to understand, right? I guess it's like, if you're going to ride a bull, the bull's going to throw you off eventually. That's it. You got to be willing to climb on and try. That's the that's you controlling it. Like I'm going to I'm going to try, you, you know, and then I'll do as well as I can. And if it goes great, yay. And if it doesn't, then I'll just try again. Like it's get not, back on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you can't. You literally can't say to yourself, "I this is it. I failed. I'm a bad. I'm a bad bull rider at this point." Like it's th that's not a thing that measures out that way. You know what I mean? It's like firing rockets into space. Well, and yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I think it also is connected to, you know, we're, we're assessed how we're doing based on numerical values, A1Cs, mm -hmm. time and range. Um, and so it's easy for either our physicians or family members or our parents to say, you're doing such a good job and praising the 5.8 A1C which is great. Like, let's celebrate that. But if, when there's so much praise around time and range and the, and in range A1Cs, what is the converse of that? Yeah. Is there so much shame around, oh, I'm, I'm a 7.1, you know, I don't know. And no. not even I'm a, like, no, you're not a 7.1. I just right. did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. No, wait, there's <laughs> almost, it's almost, 
I, I what I've learned is that people have, I, I don't even want to say a difficult time separating themselves from their diabetes. Like, I think that it just, I think it is really just who you are at this point. Like you're a person who has diabetes. You can't like, I know you can like, like there are all different ways to talk about it and whatever works for you is fine. Like I'm not my disease. I'm not this, like I, I it, right, whatever right, gets right. you through the day is fine. But I mean, at the end of the day, you're in a body and that body has a thing and you know, I, all right, you're not the body, but you know, until we can put your brain in a jar, I don't know what we're going to do about that. <laughs> you know? Um, although I think, uh, they say Walt Disney's head is in a, his brain is somewhere on ice. Is it? I, I don't, don't know. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine? <laughs> imagine if one day we'll have to Google that. Back. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, this other person said they did EMDR, which uh, a surprising mm-hmm. number of people have brought up on this podcast. Yes. Um, what does that stand for? I forget all the time. Eye um, movement um, desensitization and. Um, ah. You lost the R. What is the R? I lost the R. Hold on a second. Eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. Reprocessing. Thank you. Yes. No, I am I am a big fan of EMDR, and that's really helpful for you know trauma, processing trauma and, and you know, grieving. Um and it's it's another form of you know the the therapist kind of paying witness to your traumas while giving you tools to reframe them to kind of validate the feelings that you're feeling in that in the trauma and then also reframe them. So it's another method to kind of change your thoughts and feelings around trauma. Mm-hmm. This person said that they have a child with type one and they said connecting with others, which is something we've talked about already, but she said specifically mm-hmm. the podcast and the Facebook group have been a major help in moving past guilt and shame. Oh, that's lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Constantly reminding myself that type one diabetes existed prior to all of this technology and that people have lived full, happy lives is helpful. So you feel, so if you are a parent and you have a kid with type one, you feel guilty. Just like I feel bad that my son's not taller because it really did hold him back with something he was doing. Just two inches more of height would have been a big deal to him. And my wife's side of the family is very tall and I'm adopted. And so I just assume it's my fault. And there have been times that I've thought, oh, he can't do this because of my lineage. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel guilty about it. I just, I wish it was different, but I don't, I'm not stuck on it. Mm-hmm. But if my kid gets type one and I see it in my family line, then I can say, oh, this feels like it's my fault. And then you feel guilt about that. And then that guilt, let's see, I'm trying to work through people's ideas. I think, so the, if the the guilt, I, I would maybe suggest that might feel, yeah, so guilty because then I, I remember reading a lot of themes around like, I feel guilty because I knew I had type one in my genetic or my lineage. And then I still decided to have a child and the child was undiagnosed. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm. Um. Which, yeah, I think that's a really interesting and, and complex thought. I feel like those are those are feelings that I would suggest, you know, to pro- probably process in therapy and understanding what can you what can you control in life, what can you not control, um, and maybe just there's some grieving around that piece that needs to happen. Right. And it, yeah, is this you're gonna you're gonna make a bad face at me? But is this <laughs> is this gender like? 
does this run on gender lines? Um, I, I don't, I don't think so. I think shame and guilt are pretty um, equitable around mm-hmm. their okay. distribution. <laughs> there's, there's a, it, it's, it's a stronger female response in, in the group. And as I'm sitting here and thinking, it is probably because of me that my son's not taller, but I don't, I don't, I'm not down on myself about it. Like I didn't do this. I would have chosen to be a little taller if I had a choice or if I had any input into it, I would have worked towards it. Do you know what I mean? Like, so right. I don't like, why but, am I able to walk away from it that easy? Well, I think there's a couple of different reasons. I would also maybe argue that did uh, men not respond? I don't know what the, you know, the ratio is of people in the group at large, but mm. also is there shame preventing the person from even Posting, saying, saying they feel shameful yeah. about something else. Yeah, I, I, I mean that. Well, and well, yeah, th- that's a great point because it's it, the the world's changed so much now that it's hard to know this is true. But a very small percentage of people are actually able to express themselves online. It's not it's not something that most people can do. It's like sometimes when you hear, um, you know, they're like, "Well, here's how the online community feels about it," or Twitter thinks this about something political. Like, you have to remember, this is a very small portion of the actual people <laughs> walking on the planet, right? Um, oh, that is true. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. I was embarrassed and I felt guilty for developing type one, as I was the only one in my family with it. Of a, uh, and I am extremely type A. The type A's have trouble with the diabetes. I talk to them mm-hmm. all the time. They want. Mm-hmm some sort of can they want an, an absolute control mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. it's maddening to them when they don't get it a lot of mm-hmm. times you know? mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think the, the guilt around diagnosis um is definitely present for regardless of what type you are diagnosed type mm-hmm. one 1.5 type two because of the either misconception and misunderstanding personally or what how they receive public shame or the stigma of diabetes is still very much alive and well in terms of, did you, could you have prevented this? Could you have not prevented this? There are categories, the way how we even talk about it. Type Mm -hmm. one is classically, people say it's the one that you couldn't prevent. So what does that mean that type two is the one you could have? And there's shame around that. So I think maybe just an understanding of, you know what, you got diabetes. We don't really know exactly. I mean, we know kind of why, but not really. Mm -hmm. Let's just accept that and then move forward without trying to cater. But we'd want to do that. We want to find reasons why. Yeah. Oh, I expect that when you see an online disagreement where someone does not want to be lumped in, I'm making air quotes, with the person Mm -hmm. with type 2 diabetes, that's totally because if they, I believe if they find commonality with them, then they won't be able to put up that kind of like that, that emotional wall that says, I didn't do anything to get this. You, You know what I mean? Like it's a. I think it's a castle that they hide behind sometimes. And if you let everybody into the castle, then we're all in the same group. And then if they're all in the same group, then I don't have this excuse anymore. Meanwhile, none of that's real because you didn't do anything to get your diabetes. And yes. Yeah. Right. It's just, yeah, that, that's a, that's a whole other episode. Yeah, for no, sure. for sure. Okay. Uh, <laughs> this person talks about like denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, uh, having to work through those different stages um, about mm-hmm. their old, about their old lifestyle. Oh, I do see that a lot. That's yes. where the food argument comes in, right? I I hear grieving of of post of the previous lifestyle and and 
particularly from caregivers too, of grieving for their child, mm -hmm. of how, you know, it was so much easier before. And I feel so badly that now we have to do X, Y, and Z to make my child feel quote normal. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of grief around that. And that's definitely in the initial kind of diagnosis stage, going through the grief stages, which I wanted to note real quick on the grief stages. I, one of your um, responders was really great in explaining that and also noting that it's not linear, even though we reread about it and we Google and there's one, two, three, four, five, or one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, but it's not always in that beautiful, clean order and it's messy and it's cyclical and that's totally normal if that's how you experience it. Yeah. They're not going to happen numbered, your experience. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess that is how movies set it up, right? They do. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. do. And I'm that's how they the I'm through the denial and I'm onto this and yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and not only that, but you're saying you could work through anger or bargaining as an example and then come back around and experience it again. Yes. Yeah. And and maybe you're in this in this in the you know stage of acceptance and then and there's a new stage of life. Hormones are shifting or you know pregnancy or injury, you know whatever it is or another diagnosis and that might trigger um kind of the anger, you know, bargaining stages all over again and that's okay. Yeah. But hopefully at that point you maybe have worked through it and you have more tools to to process through those stages. Yeah. The bargaining part is so sad. Mhm. Mm like from a from a from a third party perspective it's just it's hard it's hard to see somebody talking to, you know, God or the universe or whatever and begging basically for something to go back to a different thing. Um jeez. All right. Yes. Um there, there go was. A, go ahead. No, no, no. I have a different thought. So if you have this, I'm going to let you go. I was just one other theme that I noticed was coming up a lot in the um, in the thread was kind of, I think both guilt and shame around why didn't I catch it sooner or why didn't doctors catch it sooner, which is more blame. But I under, but and rightly so, right? There might be opportunities for frustration and anger. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I noticed that that was a real significant thread that people are working through a, a topic working through. Why didn't I catch it earlier? I knew in my, you know, gut, um, and why didn't my doctors figure this out sooner? Yeah. It's, it's a real pain point. Um, and it's common. It's common. I have, so I feel that around, it's interesting. I don't feel that around diabetes because diabetes was going to come for Arden. I do think that around other things like uh, digestion issues, like I'm very, I, I am angry that it took me so long to figure that out because I think of it as wasted or lost time. That's why. And it's, that is, I'm sure I've said this to you before, Erica, but if I have something I'm stuck on, I hate the idea of wasted time. And it, it and when I, and when I look back to see that someone knew they were wasting my time, that is even that's mm -hmm. worse. That's actually worse for me too. I don't mm -hmm. know if there's a uh, what the psychological component of that is, but I I despise having my time wasted. I mean, and it's, it's painful. Yeah. It's painful. It real. I just it bothers me. Big big picture, little picture. I can't even be in a fifteen minute conversation. I'm not interested in. That's why I like I work so hard even to keep the the podcast going because I don't want mm -hmm. somebody to look back later and think, oh, there were seven minutes in the middle there. Could have done without that. You know, like <laughs> I I wanted to keep moving. So. um and by the way, there are different feelings about the stages of grief. I, you've heard I've heard people say there are seven stages, there are five mm -hmm. stages. There's so there are different like 
theories, like professional theories around that as well. Yes. Okay. Um, after two years, I realized that I was going to be the best for my daughter if I was healthy too. So I started an exercise regimen that helped me feel healthier. Also helped me mentally. Okay. If I get too mm -hmm. crabby, I tell my husband I have to go to work out. <laughs> that's good. Nice. No, okay. So that's a good example of something to do. We talked about that. Uh, or, um, Jenny and I talked about it recently about just how important exercise is to people's state of mind. Mm -hmm. um, uh, being educated made me feel empowered, this person says. Uh, the guilt I felt after my daughter's diagnosis almost sunk me. Her graphs were awful. Mm. She felt awful. I kept making terrible mistakes and began doubting every move I made. I didn't make a dose without two people checking me um, before mm -hmm. checking my math. I listened to the podcast, read Think Like a Pancreas, read some books, um, realized the hospital had given us the wrong tools and maybe there's a better way. So this is this is the next thing, right? Like you're busy feeling badly and no one's prepared you. And how do you even know where to go get the information from? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say that I've spoken to people who have come out the other side of that after a week, a month, a year, and some people after 10 or 15 years. And those, I've had a couple of experiences with people that I will never forget who talking about wasted time, realized that they weren't given the right tools, that they had been banging their head against this wall for a decade and that their health was declining and that they had had experiences they didn't need to have. And there was a different answer and no one ever told it to them. That's mm. that, that one's tough. That is, that is yeah. tough. Uh, yeah. I think that the, when you're in that initial stage of what, what do we do? Things aren't working. Um, people do feel, um, can help themselves feel better by the, they want to do something, right? So I'm going to go Google things. I'm going to get education. I'm going to, you know, people find your podcast, find other resources, find community. And so that is, but that often is hard to do sometimes if you are, I can't remember if you, it was this person or the person before that you just said that they were just drowning in the guilt. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to take that first step forward. And so maybe that's when, you know, hopefully if there are family members or, or friends to kind of help give you that initial nudge yeah. um, to take that first step. This person said that they used, uh, they read about Stoicism and Eastern philosophies. Mm -hmm. uh, I, drew on, I drew on the perspective I gained working in a hospice. I live a healthy lifestyle. I remind myself repeatedly that we're not promised tomorrow. This is where the um, at least it's not cancer sentence comes from. That that's this right because every because mm -hmm. it's hard to talk to somebody without diabetes who has some perspective who won't say well at least it wasn't something worse, you know. And so oh, I worked in a hospice to to give herself mm -hmm. perspective. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, all right. These are really helpful. Uh, mm -hmm. beginning my biggest hurdle was why didn't I get sooner? We talked about that. Mm -hmm. Um, everyone kept saying that I did it. Oh, this is interesting, right? What happens when people are telling you, you did a great job, but you don't think that's true. Then that rings hollow and it doubles down on your shame. Shame. So like doing a great job with, with diabetes management or yeah. just in general? It, well, it's, it's, yeah. it seems yeah. like diabetes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I would be curious of, you know, what doing a great job at, you know, just going back to the language piece. I know I'm I'm really kind of focused on that at the moment of 
we're doing a great job. You're doing the best you can, but then that person is receiving it as, well, no, actually, I don't, I don't think I'm doing that great. So I would wonder, I'd be more curious around what is that person's kind of internal self-talk? Is it more, is, is it being driven by shame and negative self-talk that no matter what, any kind of external praise is, is not landing? Mm-hmm. Um, but then that might lead to yeah, either withdrawal or more shame. Um, that is, that's another kind of point or process that I would encourage. You know, maybe some more you know therapy or exploration. Yeah, you know, this is slightly off the topic of this thread for a second, but I recorded mm-hmm. the other day with a a, a lovely woman, um, late thirties, and um, has type one. And she just openly like spoke about how she manages like every day with alcohol. Like she's like, I can't, you know, I have wine, a lot of wine every day. This is how I get through my life. And she was a business owner and a, and a parent and a spouse and seemed completely reasonable and, you know, lovely. And, I thought, wow, that's we, and we talked for a while about that. Like we ended up talking about, this is going to seem like a left turn, but we ended up Mm -hmm. talking about how I don't see the difference. She worked in a restaurant. She owns a restaurant. And I, and I started bringing up, like, I'm like, is it true what I hear about restaurants behind the scenes? And she's like, what do you hear? I'm like, it's a big orgy, right? Sex, drugs, alcohol. And she's like, yes, definitely. Okay, contournext.com forward slash juicebox. I'm looking at it right now. I'm talking to you today about a blood glucose meter. And many of you might be thinking like, well, I have a CGM, but uh, I don't need a meter, Scott. Yes, you do. And if you don't have a CGM, then you definitely double need a meter. And you want it to be accurate. And you want it to be easy to carry. And you want the test strips to not like just, you know, get messed up all the time. So you want second chance test strips. These are the things that the Contour Next One blood glucose meter offer to you. Quality, convenience, accuracy. What more could you want? Contournext.com forward slash juice box. Some people, this is interesting. Some people are paying right now through their insurance more money for test strips and meters than it would cost to buy the Contour in cash, which blows my mind. So you can check that out on the website. You can also look into buying it yourself online. There's a big button that says buy now. Takes you to things like CVS, Amazon, Walgreens, Walmart, Kroger, Meyer, Target, Rite Aid, all places you can buy right now online. Some of the prices are insane. So, you know, check out all the links because some of them vary. Just listen. I don't, I, this is, you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm trying to put a bunch of excitement behind this. And I know we're talking about a blood glucose meter and you're like, well, Scott, it's just a meter, but it's really not. It's an incredibly accurate meter. It gives you, the accuracy is, it's the whole thing. You understand? Like, it's just, you deserve to know what number you're dealing with. And you're buying a meter anyway. You're buying test strips and you're buying a meter. Like, think about the fertility of this. Just think about the frustration you might have if you've already put out the money and you've got the meter and the strips and it's not accurate. Like you've done all the things and you're not getting accuracy. You might as well get accuracy. Get the contour next one. I I feel like I'm babbling, but at the same time, I feel completely clear headed like I'm making a ton of sense. You're already buying a meter. 
get a good one. That's pretty much it. Contournext.com forward slash juicebox. Links in the show notes. Links at juiceboxpodcast.com. When you click on my links, you're helping the podcast. I'm going to go to touchedbytype1.org right now. Go to programs. Scroll down with my little mouse until I see annual conference. And let's see if they put in the date yet. Stay tuned for details in the 2023 Touch by Type 1 conference. Well, there's no details here on the website yet, but I'll give you a detail. I'll be speaking at it. That's correct. Oh, there's some other people here that are going to be speaking. Look at this. Let me take a looky loo. Interesting. Or is this from last year? This might be from last year. Hmm. I don't see my pretty face yet. Maybe they're saving me till the end. You think? I don't know. It's not coming. I'm still watching. Mm hmm. I don't know that person. Mm. Oh, I know that person. I know that person. That person, I don't know. Oh, there I am. That's me. I'm right there. Uh, go check it out. Touchbytype1.org. They might not have all the details for 2023 yet, but I've got the most important detail. I'll be there. You should come meet me. sex, drugs, alcohol. And she's like, yes, definitely not. <laughs> and, and she's, and she said, it's not uncommon for like cooks to do small bumps of cocaine to get through long shifts and servers. And she's like, this is not an uncommon thing. And as my first response was like, oh, that seems wrong until I realized how many people are on Adderall or, you know, using legal drugs to do the same thing or, or drink nine pots of coffee every day. So they're like, ah, you, you know, like, and I, and I, and I started thinking about like, what's the difference? Like, I mean, I, I, I didn't see a big difference. Like theoretically, as I was talking about it, all I really saw, and this is why I brought it up, was someone trying to like get oh. through, they're coping. They're trying to get through something that they don't understand well enough to dissolve out of their, out of their mind, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I wonder, it makes me wonder about all these people, like, like, you know, I mean, you're hearing guilt, you're hearing shame, you're hearing go to therapy, try this, try that. But I wonder how many people are doing other things to try to numb that pain. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, I'm assuming it might be a lot actually. Just kinda, Right. You know. uh, yeah. Are you, is it, are you using whatever you're using? Are you using it to, to medicate, to celebrate, to, you know, mm-hmm. increase your energy, to numb the the harsh, you know, realities. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it is an interesting point of yeah, how else, how else are we coping? Among other things, this person said that they use prayer to remind mm-hmm. themselves that every day is a new day, uh, that they could do better tomorrow, that, that sort of thing. Um, did you see anything in here that you wanted to bring up as I look through it? Um, one thing I thought was interesting, you know, I don't know if it was actually mentioned, but this idea of either locus of control or self-efficacy, I think is an interesting topic or theme that maybe is underneath some of these statements Um, and thinking just more around like management. And I remember reading about like either my child's, my child's graphs are bad or I feel really guilty around um, 
when I, I incorrectly bolus for my child or for the, I think there was a type one um, adult who was posting in there. Um, and I think it's an interesting theme that the self-efficacy, which is a little bit different than, you know, your, your locus of control, which can be internal or external, which is more kind of the personality construct versus self-efficacy, which you could have kind of high or low self-efficacy. And if you have a high sense, you have the belief in your ability and capacity to act in certain ways to reach or achieve your goals. And so no matter what kind of challenge you have or, you know, threat or challenge you face, you have the belief in yourself that you can reach that goal. Yeah. And the low obviously is the opposite that you, you view difficult tasks or, or personal as personal threats. And you, um, you kind of believe that you might not be able to achieve them as, as, um, strong. And one thought, you know, how to increase self-efficacy, um, is to engage in the mastery experience. So how do you do that? Just one quick idea that I heard from this, the ADA conference this weekend is looking at diabetes as you know, there's so many things we have to manage, right? All there's all the variables. There's when do I take it? How do I take it? All of the things, um, the insulin, um, is just try and focus on one goal, mm-hmm. like just one thing, like maybe you're going to pre-bolus sooner, um, or but yeah, actually before your meal. And this is for people with, with Dexcom look you, in order to increase self-efficacy, you need to see the results and say, wow, I, this one goal, I made this one change. And now I see the difference between last week and this week. And seeing that data increases your belief in your, and your self-efficacy that you can continue to do so. And so in the, the Dexcom CGM reports, you can do the compare analysis. Yeah. And I guess a lot of people don't do that. So that was just one one tip in terms of this belief that when you're feeling so guilty and you're feeling overwhelmed by shame or you're feeling stuck in in management, this is just one one tool that I thought was really helpful what in you, terms of yeah. What do you think it would do you think it could backfire on you? If you saw a backslide, would you assume that the momentum's going that way and give up? Um well, I would maybe adjust to say, okay, if you're if you're making the if you're pre-bolusing sooner and you mean like if the graph was not, it didn't improve. Yeah. It. What if I tried okay. something and, it, and, and, and I was like, well, now I'm worse off than I was last week. The, see, now in my heart, what I would do is uh-huh. I would just try something different. Right, right, but, right. But I'm thinking about it almost like when you hear people talk about like a weight loss goal, for example. And right. they see like, oh, I lost two pounds this week. And they're like, well, I could probably do that again next week. You That's know, right. It feels like momentum's going. But what happens if you go on a weight loss program and you, you know, seven days later, you're like, geez, I've gained two pounds. And like, right. you, know, like you know, so not that you shouldn't try, but like, what do you do if you don't see what you want right away? Like, how do you, how do you, is it fake it till you make it? Is that, is that it? Well, then I would say that would be data point for you or if you were my client's that would be data to say, okay, we actually really need to work on this self-talk and what is your narrative. Mm-hmm. If if you make this one goal and you make this change and nothing improves or it, or it reverses um, and you're spiraling and saying, I'm, I'm never going to be able to do this. This is nothing ever is going to change. And you're kind of stagnant in that 
in that place of shame and, and negative self-talk, I would say, okay, let's, we're going to pause on this goal setting and let's, let's work on, you know, what, what are the thoughts and lies that you're believing about yourself? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do some people just need like, like a staff sergeant behind them barking? Like, cause that's a very popular form of a podcast. Believe it. Like, like very, very popular. Like somebody just standing in front of you once a week and telling you, Shut up, you can do it, go. Like 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 or some version of that, you know, however they end up, whatever their tagline fits that fits on their t shirt. Uh, but <laughs> but like but that's but some people need that, right? Some people need to be driven and some people need to be coaxed and some people need to do it on their own. And so like so how do you know who you are? I guess. Well, I I would maybe pay attention to how do you respond when somebody barks at you. Right. right, right, <laughs> if right you're right, like, right. yes, I'm gonna go out and run that mile. Yeah. Or, you know, heck no, what are you, who are you to tell me what to do? Then you're that so, person <laughs> and then lean into that thing, right? Right. So yeah. maybe you're like, okay, I'm, I'm responding in a defensive manner. I might need a little bit softer touch right. or some more coaching that is part, more of a partnership as opposed to authority figure. And I'm this submissive person. Tell me what to do. Right. My mom did not um, respond well to like a lot of positive stuff. So we carrot and sticked her through her, her cancer treatment. We were just like, here, mom, you want to get to this, right? You have to do this today to get to that. And she's like, right on. And then she did it. If you said, mm -hmm. hey, mom, you're doing a really great job. She couldn't, she could not like see herself in that statement at all. So we stopped, we stopped using as much positive reinforcement and went more with, come on, if you want to get here, you're going to have to do this. But not it was more re reward, reward reinforcement as opposed yeah. to like the positive encouragement. Yeah, it was funny how because I I went right to it's so strange because I don't come off like this, but I went right to what I would want, which is like somebody to tell That's me I'm, I'm, I'm doing yeah. terrific. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh -huh. so I knew I would want that. I gave her that. She didn't want that. I was like, all right, then stop. And it's it's interesting too. How when it's not somebody in my home, it was easy for me to see that she doesn't want this. I'll give her what she wants. But when you're around people all the time and you're not thinking, I, I think that's what people miss about being in like a family is that things are happening and you're saying things and you're walking from room to room or running from one job to another, whatever you're doing, you say the thing that occurs to you. And, you know, eventually you look up and you're like, I mean, I, I, there are things that I try to help people in my family with that I know for certain it's not how they respond to it. But in a, in a quick situation, it is what occurs to me to say. Mm -hmm. And then if I have enough time to stop myself, I'll go, that's not what this person wants. They want this. I'm almost a better parent remotely to my kids than I am when they're here. Part of me thinks I should send my wife away for a couple of weeks and she would like me more because <laughs> I would have a pause moment. I was going to say there's yeah. there's space in yeah. between. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. It's just a little mm -hmm. time to stop and think. Okay, here's what I really need here, and maybe if all the if everybody in this group had the time to stop and wonder like what would help me instead of being in the spiral, say what what do I need here to stop and how do I get that thing right? Yes, and so the the pause, the break. I mean, that's you know everyone is has probably heard and been spoken to and read about, you know, just pausing and breathing, but it, it does work, even though I know it's hard to implement before yeah. responding, you know, and before responding externally to others and before responding to yourself also. Yeah. And it's not a conscious thing. It's not like 
everyone who's married will know what I'm saying here. There's a moment in your life where something happens and you have a thought and you're like, this is going to go poorly if I say this out loud. And there's a devil on your shoulder that's like, let's fucking do it. (laughs) (laughs) And you just kind of go. That's consciously. I don't mean consciously. I mean, like, just like, I don't know. I think it's, yeah, find, it sounds so trite, but find a way to like take a breath and, Mm -hmm. and step back, see everything macro for a minute, see the big picture and say to yourself, I feel this way because of this. I need to not feel like this. Who Who's around me or what can I find that'll support that feeling and help me pull myself out of this hole? Because it's all bullshit. It's all lies. Like mm-hmm. it's just all lies your brain's telling you or your heart's telling you or whatever, you, however you want to think about it. Um, here, This one's super interesting from this person. Uh, the person says they were diagnosed as an adult in their mid twenties, already had a child. It's a female person. I think that's important to say. She said her extended family had always been very ignorant and rude and relating weight to diabetes. Like, this is just like normal conversation, right? So then she gets type one and is now like, oh, snap. Now that diabetes moniker's on me. And she, she's, she doesn't eat around them the way she wants to because she's afraid they're going to look at her and think, oh, see, diabetes. Food. Meanwhile, I mean, I, I don't think food's an issue for this person based on what they're saying, but but it's just they that it's become one. And yeah, because she was she was as long as she wasn't this is very interesting, right? As long as she didn't have diabetes, then their bullshit talking didn't really impact her. But then suddenly this she was in the target of that, and they had predisposed her to realize that you should feel bad if this is your moniker. It's very interesting. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I just want to say I'm I'm that is such a painful place to be and I'm so sorry. Yeah. That that is your, you know, your life and your narrative with with that extent with your extended family. Um and I I don't remember the end of the post of where she's at or if she's found support or help, but um she says she tries to push the feelings away but the guilt and shame linger and she yes. she believes she's too much of a people pleaser. So, um, I'll tell you yeah, to avoid, to avoid conflict, to yeah. avoid the, yeah, that's, that's really painful. I'm sure I'm not perfect at it, but I try very hard not to say things that could later come back. Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, I'm, 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 I'm fumfering for an example, but like, I don't want to come down hard on the side of something because what if one day my kid, like, like, you know what I mean? Like it would, I, I guess, let me, uh, uh, an easy to understand examples. If you run around for 15 years while your kid's growing up yelling about the gays, the gays, the gays, and then, you know, um, and you're, and you seem intolerant and silly. And then one of your kids realizes they're gay one day. How are they ever going to like tell, forget, tell you, how are they going to feel okay? You know what I mean? If they look back and see that their parent doesn't think this is a good thing and that right. would apply to anything, Right. Yes. Huh. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, being as parents, we just being mindful of, yeah, our, our opinions, how are we expressing them? Our children are sponges. And as they are growing up, what, you know, and learning who, who they are, they're figuring out their identity. Um, and gosh, yeah. How sad, because I'm, I'm pretty certain that child wouldn't want to run to right. daddy. Yeah. 
and disclose this or seek comfort or acceptance. I mean, there, there hopefully there would be hope for, yeah. you know, you know, I don't think the restoration people, and redemption, but meanwhile, um, like you yeah. play out the rest of that story. I would imagine that it's a coin flip. Maybe you go back to your parent and say like, Hey, I'm gay. And they'd be like, I love you. I don't care. Like maybe <gasps> right, I'm right, right, right. talking out my ass. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't really feel that way. Or it was something that I thought was, I mean, there are plenty of things that were colloquially like the butt yes. of jokes through the seventies and eighties that people said all the time, I would imagine they don't hold as actual beliefs. It's just what you said, you, you know, um, but not to, and, and that's not to make an excuse for it. It's just that I think that's what could end up happening, but you're not going to, you're not going to give a shit 20 years later. If you're the kid, like you're not going to come back and be able to break through that. You're going to think this person definitely doesn't like X, Y, Z, and I'm not going to get involved in telling them. Oh my gosh. Is that what we're hearing, Erica? We shouldn't speak to each other. Is that what <laughs> yeah. we can't set Never up negative? Express. <laughs> um, uh, I was diagnosed at 30 years old. I had immense feelings of shame when it happened as if I had failed. I analyzed it a lot because I could not understand the feeling. My body was in terrible shape. My sugars were over 500. And yet, um, and yet instead of feeling compassionate and caring towards myself, my body, I just felt like a loser doesn't make mm -hmm. sense, right? Later on, I realized that our human way of thinking always seeks cause-outcome patterns. Mm -hmm. And so we can understand and explain the world around us. Yeah, I talk about this a lot, right? Like that, you know, there are just ways people's brains work and they don't always help you. So this is her brain trying to, what? Like, what is it? What is happening here? I don't feel well can't find compassion for myself so you can see it intellectually but you can't do it hmm i don't know that one and you're trying to figure out you know cause effect what did i do you know a lot of times in initial diagnosis and i'm meeting with clients with diabetes or their caregivers a lot of conversation is spent around trying to figure out how and why did this happen? Mm -hmm. And that's part of, you know, the denial bargaining and battle with acceptance, because a lot of times we can explain things, why bad things happen. You can, you know, you, you tripped and fell and you have a scraped knee. Mm -hmm. There's a cause and effect. And there are other times like with chronic, with this chronic illness, we can't yeah. explain it. And that is really, really frustrating with how our human mind works. So this is interesting. I'm pretty deep into this thread now. And there's a post here from a person who I've, who I've witnessed be harsh to people, not harsh, but they know about what can go wrong with diabetes if you don't take it seriously there. Mm -hmm. And they're always very direct with people and, um, and and it if you re if you read them and didn't know about them that they were a decent nice person you I can see people reading it and being like what's wrong with this person you know like why are you being like that but one of the more thoughtful responses about counseling understanding your grief giving yourself like time and grace and 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 forgiving yourself it's it's very interesting because when 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 faced with the question the answer is legitimately right there. But when you see the person in public, you wouldn't think that the person writing that stuff has these thoughts. I hope that was clear. Um, mm -hmm. There's something in there, right? Like, like, cause I know this person deeply cares 
that other people get good information so that they don't have like like significant poor outcomes, health outcomes. Mm-hmm. But when they try to help somebody with it, they come off a little rough, maybe. Mm. I, don't, I don't know exactly. But isn't it interesting that the people who seem to care the most, I think that's passion. Like, right? Like, I think I think that when you see people argue about food, in both ways, I think it's passion. And and I'll I'll make it I'll make my when you see somebody say, look, don't eat any carbs. And if you do, you'll keep your blood sugar here. And these are normal blood sugars and you're going to be fine. This is what helped me. You often will hear them say, I didn't know I, I used to struggle before, but I don't struggle now. So they feel like they found an answer and they did. And they're trying very desperately to give it to somebody. I also think that on the other side of that, that can make people think, well, you're not going to take something from me. Right, diabetes has already taken something from me. I wonder how often people are. Um, have you ever heard the phrase "hate listen"? Like, I'm aware that there are some people who hate mm. listen to the podcast. They don't like me, but they can't stop listening to it. I wonder. <laughs> I wonder sometimes if people with diabetes don't hate eat. Like, if they don't go, Fuck "You, I can have this. I can figure this out. You can't take this freedom from me." I wonder how often that happens with food they don't even want. They're just proving it. You know what I mean? I bet all the time, whether consciously or unconsciously. Right. And whether you're bolusing for it or not, you know, there's probably all sorts of reasons why. But I, I imagine that happens. Yeah. yeah. It just occurred to me while we've been. It's the power, right? Yeah. It's just, just going to show your power here. Like, I, I, I was wondering how many people are eating something that they they just like, I don't even want this. I don't like this. I don't want this. But it's a thing someone told me I can't have. So I'm going to eat it. I'm going to like, well, you know I mean? maybe, maybe even, you know, as for, for our younger, you know, our children with type one, where, you know, we, I think we did an episode on this of, you know, sneaking, mm-hmm. sneaking food. Is that because they really are hungry and want the Skittles or whatever chips, or is it because I know I can't have it and I'm going to eat it anyway? Yeah. You and I have talked about this before. I shouldn't have. Yeah. Because I'm confused by the idea that somebody with like, uh, for example, a weight loss app where you report what you've eaten inside of it that no one sees, but the person using it. And sometimes they'll lie in the app. Oh yeah. And I'm like, I don't understand. Like no one's going to see this and you know, you're lying. So but that's whatever mechanism makes you do that is that's the that's the part where something you're lying to yourself or your mm-hmm. your brain is lying to you somehow right well and and maybe what's driving that action is is shame right mm-hmm. like i i feel i feel so ashamed that i had four cookies instead of two so i'm just going to say two on the app so i see that and maybe it'll make me feel a little bit better cuz i feel so ashamed inside yeah. that i that i cheated or, yeah. ha- you know, whatever the word is. This person says, this thread is triggering, but everyone's comments are good to read. Maybe it's time that I start meeting with my therapist again. Mm. I thought that was like one of the mm-hmm. more thoughtful things that happened in there. Mm-hmm. Because because you can, I get the idea of something being triggering to somebody. Um, but look at what happens if you're able to just like, you know. I don't know, make it through it and, and, and see, like, you know, sometimes you, I don't know, like I, I could be completely wrong about this for some people and write about it for others, but 
you can't just back down every time you hear something that makes you uncomfortable or you'll get stuck in that spot forever, right? Yeah. So and I, I remember reading that comment and thinking, well, there's um, that person has probably done already some self-awareness work. And so they're aware of that they're feeling triggered mm-hmm. and and know what works for them, how yeah. to process that. Yeah. And I'm down here to your, I want to bring up again, you said Brene Brown, mm-hmm. um, stuff that people should listen to that would help them understand it more. Yeah. I mean, it's not me. I don't understand it enough to, I, I, I understand enough to recognize what I see in people. I don't know what to do next. You know, like for them, I probably wouldn't know what to do for myself either. Um, but, you know, I I can't read the words, I hate myself every time a blood sugar gets out of control and not see that this is something we should be talking about. You know, like uh, just because I don't have the answer today doesn't mean that anybody should ignore this if they feel this way. It's why I asked you to do an episode about mom guilt and, yes. you know, the other stuff. I'm just trying to reflect back what I'm seeing people talk about, I guess. Well, and just in going back to, sorry, the language piece again yeah, is just what I do. the, you yeah. know, the ad, no, the out oh. of control piece, you know, like even just the way it's so ingrained in us. And I, and I did it myself already. I said, I'm a, you know, whatever you're, we say, I'm a number. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead, just, I think part of that self-awareness piece is how are we describing our management style to ourselves and to others and really being mindful of, you know, we don't have numbers that are out of control. We are not out of control people. Right. We have numbers that are out of range. And and just seeing if that making that small change, that just that language piece, how that might affect your mental state, that might be one of the first steps yeah. to try. This is interesting. Uh, I feel guilty about the money it takes to manage diabetes, but that's not how they said it. Guilt for the money it takes to keep me alive. Right. Mm. So what, what, so what does that sentence tell you that there's a level of, um, self-worth that's lost there too, right? Like, am I, am I worth this financial effort? So guilt for the, for the money spent and I would maybe suspect some shame underneath that, Mm -hmm as well. well um, I don't know. I don't want to project into that. Shame, but shame when I have to call in sick from work to take care of myself. I think I've just learned to do what it takes to wake up the next day. So, mm. yeah. so shame because I'm maybe what's underneath that is because I'm, I'm a bad, I'm a bad quote, bad diabetic. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know how to take care of myself. So I now I have to call into work, but yet we still have to spend money on me. That's there feels like there might be a shame spiral in a there. Spiral, yeah. It's, um, this person just said, this is just very interesting to hear how people work through this. Um, this person said the podcast helped them, uh, that, that most of the guilt came from blood sugar out, out of range, blood sugars mm-hmm. podcast helped them keep the blood sugars in range. So this is, you know, I don't think this is, um, like a big secret, but the way I talk about diabetes was my effort for people not to feel this way. That, that's that's the, that's the self-efficacy piece, no. right? You're, you're, in giving them education, pro tips, information on how to improve their confidence and self-efficacy in managing. My my very layman's opinion was that I saw people having a lot of different problems. And to me, it seemed like a lot of them would be alleviated if they just knew how to make almost unconscious decisions about their diabetes that would keep 
all of these things from being an issue, right? Like, um, almost like an inoculation to the other problems. Like, you know what I mean? Like maybe I could, maybe I could give them a vaccine that would stop them from feeling ashamed <laughs> later. Uh, and, right. <laughs> and to that, I mean, like, just, I get, you just see people talking about, you know, my blood sugar gets high. I feel badly about, you know, I feel badly emotionally. I feel badly physically. I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I'm worried now that my blood sugar is going to get lower later. I'm worried about what if I'm alone when this happens? Like, And, mm -hmm. and I would think, well, what would stop all that? It would be if the spike didn't happen, right? Why does the spike happen? So then I paid attention to what people were doing. And I was like, I don't think they know how to use insulin. I, I honestly think that a large portion of people's psychological issues around having diabetes could be at least quelled by understanding how their insulin works better. And getting to the point where they don't have to be thinking about it constantly. Yes, I think that would help. And I think where people might get stuck is that feeling of overwhelmness, right? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's so the right much. word. As I show, where do I start? What do I do? And so I think going back to just like just choosing one small goal mm -hmm. and whether it's working through your one of the series or just saying, I'm just going to focus on. Um, my basil, or I'm just going to focus on the right number for my Lantus yeah. injection, whatever it is. No, it's why one I've, thing at a time. It's why I've tried really hard to simplify. I mean, because that really is the problem with diabetes, right? Is when you go to a professional, they start saying things to you like postprandial and and yeah. Yeah, hyperglycemia. <laughs> and did you know about the glycemic load of the? And you're like, wow, well, what the yeah. are we talking about? Yeah. Like, like there's three phrases I don't know. Let's keep going. <laughs> this is fun, you know. Like so, to me, it's you know, it's say it simply and make it actionable and make it so that it works. Like, don't say things to people that don't work because then they they go down these rabbit holes and they don't have any, you know, there's no resolution. And then it just feels like a waste of time. And it feels like there's no hope. And I, there is hope. I mean, I know this starts off by shame and guilt, but yeah, basal insulin settings around your carb ratios, understanding the different impacts of foods. It's kind of it. Like, like, you know, like mm -hmm. once you can learn how to do that and then the rest comes like, you know, see a blood sugar, go to one sixty and go, all right, well, I'll fix it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, let me just. And, and, and grace for when you make a mistake. Yeah. Just be like, <laughs> all right, right on. Like, it's not going to be. Like, I see with Arden, like, learning how to take care of herself away at college. She's okay. Like, like she's not upset if her blood sugar jumps to 200 and sits there and she has trouble to bring it down. But when it gets high enough that she doesn't feel well, then I see the rest of it happen. That's when mm -hmm. the emotional, like, like um, pressure, burden, not sure what to call it, weight. Wait, wait's the right word, right? That's when the weight of the diabetes starts to hit her. She doesn't feel good. On top of, mm -hmm. she starts realizing, like, oh, I messed this up, which I assume, like, leads to, well, I probably shouldn't have eaten that. And, and like, all of those thoughts that probably start to, like, jump on top of her. Um, and now it's really interfering with my daily life. Yeah, no like, messing it up. Now I can't think, or I can't go to class, or I can't go to work, or I feel like, you yeah. know, I feel awful. Yeah, I feel, just feel like physically. Garbage. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, and then... When you see that from the outside, how you comment on it to another person or where you try to help them, it's, I'm going to just tell you right now, like, if you got to be married to learn this, 
uh, j- just let me, I'll let you skip over it. Y- you don't talk about problems while they're happening. <laughs> you talk about them at another time, okay. <laughs> right? Like when you're hanging off the cliff. That's, that's a pro tip. Yeah, 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 there's a pro tip. When your car is hanging off a cliff, you don't go, you drive too fast. <laughs> Save that for next week <laughs> when we get out of the damn car and don't fall off the cliff. Um but you know, I told you so is not very helpful, and it's kind and not just not helpful. I think in diabetes, it's hurt. It's really hurtful. Mm-hmm. Like it, you're just holding people back if you do that. You you have to. I just kind of make a mental note, and like a week later, I'll say something like, "Hey, do me a favor. Like you know, when your new CGM like gets swapped, like let's test on the first day because you know you got. I don't know if you remember, you got low." on the first day because your blood sugar was actually lower than it was reading. If we would have calibrated, then I think you wouldn't have got low. And, you know, like, so at least you're removed a little bit from the, the irritation of me calling you. When things are heightened. Yeah. 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 Me calling you at three o'clock in the morning to let you know that your blood sugar is low. It's not the time to remind you that you probably should have calibrated before you went to bed. That's right. (laughs) So anyway, I'm learning Erica. (laughs) <laughs> that's good. That's good. Well, that, and that's called that's you're pausing. You're that's a, that's a long pause. <laughs> a, yeah, trust me, they're they're very helpful that way. Um, uh, is there anything you don't think we put in here that we should have? Um, I think well, maybe just one thought around um, just thinking from my younger clients, like my teenage um, clients with diabetes, who speak about guilt and shame with me, um, can come from both both internally their own kind of thoughts, but also just being aware as the caregiver, the questions that maybe you're asking them is, you know, how you're, you're 300. What did you eat? What did you do? How could you have done this? Um, and maybe you're, you're delivering that in the most, you know, calm, grounded way. Those are internalized as I'm a bad person. I did something wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe they did eat and forget to bolus. Maybe they ate and intentionally didn't bolus, but the number and the the commentary about the number is really um, a significant moment to partner or, or inflict shame um, or to encourage. And so I think one of the things to just be mindful of that you could even practice with yourself as a caregiver is, gosh, this is a really hard moment. Um, and diabetes is really frustrating and you can engage with your child in that moment of like, how are you feeling right now? This is really frustrating that we have to even deal with this. How can we together address this number? Yeah. That's not bad. That's not out of control. It's just out of range. Um, and that could really, you know, shape that moment and how your, your teen or young child interacts with you when those numbers, when they, they already feel pretty badly about having a number that's out of range. I just wanted to speak to that. And you can also model that to yourself because you might feel badly because maybe you're the one who, who forgot to bolus as the caregiver Mm -hmm. and just say, gosh, you know, this is really frustrating. Diabetes is really irritating sometimes. And it's going to correct this. I just saw one today where the the person said like we were eating something and then the kid asked for more and they gave to him. And she's like, I just blanked, like completely forgot the kid had diabetes. And I, I wanted to respond back and say, if you don't think everyone here hasn't done that, like, of course they have, you, you know, and, and it's going to happen again. So mm-hmm. try not to hold yeah. yourself back. Do you have one yeah, minute? I, what's you, that? Do, do you have an extra minute? I have um, five minutes. Five minutes. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go over this last post here because I think it pulls okay. everything together. This person said that I'm finding ways to let go. 
because it was literally making me sick. Um, horrible diagnosis, trauma, kid was semi-unconscious before they got them to help. Then these are the, their words. I almost killed killed them when I hit a vein with Lantus, which is, a, you know, not something you could control. Uh, then I fell asleep, woke up um, to my family calling my phone because the kid's 41, two hours down, gets down to 23, but says that that experience still haunts them to this day. Um, I've had an experience similar where there was a really, really low blood sugar. And I have to tell you, like, when it was over, like, I barely made it out of Arden's room before I fell apart. You know, like, I held it together long enough to get out and close the door. Uh, they said they went to a therapist because the guilt and fear felt like it was killing them. Um, mm -hmm. Now, the therapist says, well, this is not your burden to carry. And, of course, that was the wrong thing to say. And the mother, yeah. like, is like, I'm done with you and yeah. then left there. Um, and then... So they they have backup plans. Like she set things in place to try to like alleviate some of this stuff, uh, but then realized that like she's like losing weight, her hair's falling out from stress, um, mm -hmm. and then she hit that like you know oxygen mask moment where she's like, I'm not going to be here to help if I'm if I kill myself trying to do this. Um, I decided that I had to get comfortable with him experiencing so much that I never wanted him to. I replaced the thoughts of failure and guilt with a mental visual of him happy, healthy, and content. And I learned from my experiences, modified how I react ne next time. Forgive myself for my mistakes. This is mm -hmm. this is what I talk about in the podcast all the time. Oh, that is, that, yeah, yeah, I that is a so heart wrenching, mm -hmm. but painful. But then ends with kind of beauty and hope and self forgiveness. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like that person has done probably a lot of internal work. And shifting her mindset yeah. of how she perceived diabetes, how she perceived her son, and how she perceives herself in the moments in the past and moving forward. That's a, She did a lot of work. I've often encapsulated this idea into a couple of sentences in the show, which just says that if you want to, if you want to learn diabetes, you're going to have to have these experiences. You can't, like, you can't will them to not happen. You actually kind of need them to happen, mm -hmm. right? But eventually you know, you'll learn, you just do these things and the experience helps you. And then it's not a problem the next time, but you have to go through it once for that to be your, you know, your understanding later. So it's just, yes. it's hard because you have to, you have to go through the hard part to get to the better part. And, and that's where, you know, the, the grief stages might kind of rear their ugly head with all these new first time experiences. Stop and we talk, a, I talk a lot about that. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So you're fighting against what needs to happen and people's kind of human responses to when things go wrong. They they are almost yeah. two different things. And so, all right. So good luck, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and th thank you again for sharing, everybody. No, it was wonderful, wasn't it? Like, this is really um, one of the moments I've been very um, immensely proud of the group of people that you know, anybody wants to check it out, it's Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes on Facebook. It's a private group, but um, but there's, gosh, there's almost 35,000 people in it now. So, wow, yeah, you wow. Get, some, get some good feedback in there. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, Erica, mm -hmm. thank you. I know, I've kept you too long. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. First, of course, I'd like to thank Erica. Remind you, ericaforsyth.com, 626-344-2263. Erica is currently able to help you virtually 
if you're in California, Utah, Oregon, and Florida, and she is adding more states as we speak. EricaForsythe.com. I also want to thank the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. Remind you to go to ContourNext.com forward slash juice box. And of course, touched by type1.org. When you support the sponsors using my links, you're supporting the show, keeping it free and plentiful. What else we got for you? Oh, the Facebook group that you heard so much about. Juice box podcast, type one diabetes, private Facebook group. Check it out. It really is pretty great. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.